The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the Law Offices of Jacob M. Ronnie. Accident or injury, call Jacob M. Ronnie. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Ballou. Sue Kalinske, how you doing? I'm good. I'm completely exhausted. I got in at like 11 last night from San Francisco and, uh, you know, just typical, typical traveling crap. Yeah. You know, we landed 35 minutes early, which okay. was great. Yeah. Um, Tom was, you know, picked me up. So I'm like, oh, this is this is great. And then an announcement comes on, you know, the good news, we landed 35 minutes early. The bad, the bad news, news, you don't have a gate. Someone's parked in our spot. Yeah, yeah. So we sat on the tarmac for another 15, 20 minutes. And, and you know, I it just amazes me how crowded the airport is at certain hours of okay. like day. What? And, well, what? I, I got in at 11 on Sunday. Yeah. And the trick is you really need to have somebody pick you up. Yeah. At departures. Uh, yeah, that is a good trick. At That's the trick. Pick me so, up at departures. There aren't as many people there. Right. So we didn't do that. And, you know, it was just there was so much traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. Traffic. Traffic. L.A. Airport. Go figure. Anyway. Yeah. So, so I'm, t- I'm tired. I, I hear you. I hear you. So uh, guess what I did uh, this last Friday night? Uh, by the way, this show is coming out on Halloween. So we'll get to that. So Friday night. I got, okay, so one's in the next room, so I got to be careful. So I get dragged to the Taylor Swift movie for a second time. Oh, my God. So I saw the concert in real life. Then I saw the movie of the concert. Then I saw the movie of the concert again. Okay, now, is, did one not understand it? Is that why you were saying <laughs> it again? Yeah, there, there are a couple of plot points <laughs> that he didn't get. Yeah, act two, he got a little lost. No, I mean, it's, it's, and we went with friends and it was fun and all that stuff. Actually, one of the fun things about singing it is we sat in the last row. And if you look down over the theater, there's like people dance, standing up, dancing, singing along, know all the words. And now I've got a constant soundtrack of Taylor Swift songs in my head. And they blend together into one big song. Like right now, it's, do you know this song? It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. Well, apparently she is the problem because Correct. you can't get the song out of your head. <laughs> and she's the problem, by the way, in all of her relationships too, right? It's yeah, her. I, I, I don't know. I'm not really up to speed on a lot of her music. It's her. Hi, she's the problem. It's her. Uh, no, but I'll tell you one thing. I, have you been following her and Travis Kelsey at all? Yeah. And is it real? Now it's real. It I is? thought it was. I thought it was total fakery. But now she's uh, rented a box for the rest of the Kansas City Chiefs games this year. She's going to all the games. She's doing like she's doing like uh, dapping somebody. Uh, uh, you know, it's like two white women dapping in the uh, in the press box or in the box up at uh, uh, Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, it's it's real. I I thought it was fake to promote the movie, but as it turns out, it's real. And Travis Kelsey, watch out. She's probably already working on an album about you. 
Well, I mean, just based on what we were talking about, um, she's a problem. She's a problem. <laughs> it's her. It's her. She. She is a problem. By the way, the song goes on in my head without any words. It just. I. I mean, I. I. You know, good. Good for them. You know what I mean. I. I like him a lot. Uh, Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Unbelievable player. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's a great player. player. He's. You know, he. He's actually very funny. He was great on Saturday Night Live. I don't know how many times he's done it, but the time I saw him, just once. He was hysterical. Yeah, he was after last year's Super Bowl. He was great on SNL. Great on SNL. Uh, so anyways, uh, Taylor Swift, uh, as we talk here with Tom Russo, the executive producer of Frasier, which is back now on Paramount Plus, as we do that, just know that there are Taylor Swift songs running through my head. All right. So, uh, Sue, it's Halloween. The happiest day of the year for, I don't know who. I hate Halloween. I've always hated Halloween. I quit trick-or-treating when I was probably in fourth grade. I said, this is stupid. I'm done with Halloween. Um, I don't like all the junky, cheap Halloween decorations in my neighborhood. Big spiders and like uh, cotton stretched over uh, uh, bushes and all kinds. Of, it's just, I, it's my least favorite holiday. I me, me as well. And I wish that I had a picture of the guy who lives around the corner from me. Right. He's an older guy. Okay. He's probably in his 70s. Wow. And he is a Halloween fanatic. And oh, he goes all out. Oh, and he doesn't have kids. His front lawn is a giant pirate ship. It's got smoke coming out of it. It's got like... um. It's it like, it's got all these like flashing lights every year. He like, you know, it, it, it goes up he and ups his game. Oh my God. And he's out there for like two weeks putting this thing together. And it is ridiculous. It, is it look junky? <laughs> it's not that it looks junky. It's just, I guess because it's something that I've never been into. Yes. Then sound probably five. Yeah. And. I I feel as an adult, mm -hmm. there's way too much pressure involved with with people that I know who are into Halloween. Like I'm going to see my cousin this weekend. Yeah, some of my cousins, and they have a little kid. And there's already talk like, so uh, she's dressing up as this, and and we're dressing up as this, and then you know the parents are coming, and they're all you know going to be in outfits, and I'm not coming in an outfit. You're, I don't you mean have, everybody I, else is going everybody's in a Halloween gonna costume? Have, everybody's going to have a costume on, but I'm not going to do it because I just, I just can't. I just now, don't. see, I think that's really bad form on your part. You've got to at least do something. Well, it's not, it's not like they said, hey, it's a costume party. I just talked to like my, my cousin's mom uh, yesterday. Yeah. And she's, and she, you know, because they have a little kid. Sure. She says, you know, we're dressing up. She, they didn't say that I have to dress up. Okay. Tom has to dress up. It's not like I'm going to a costume party. Oh, just and, a a party and, where people are going to be in costume. Yeah, and and being like a you know fucking Scrooge. I mean, I'm not <laughs> I'm not doing that. But but you know, one time years ago, I was dating this guy. Well, dating this guy, met this guy, and then like a couple days later, um, I got invited to a party, so I invited him to the party, and he lived out of town. So he says, I don't have a costume. It was, and it was Halloween. He says, I don't have a costume. And I said, well, just go as a guy from out of town. So an out of when, he was an out of towner. So when he walked in, 
And I actually at that I did have a costume. I he they said, well, you know, what's what what is he? You know, what do you dress up as? And I said, he's from out of town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. By the way, I thought the pressure was big. Like in school, they would vote on the best costume, and I was like, oh god, it's just another way to lose in school. It's like <laughs> the costume <laughs> contest. Uh, do you get trick or treaters that come to your house? Very rarely. I, I mean, there there are like uh, there are a couple of kids that live on my block. It's it, but there's not a lot of kids around here. Um, so then the then oh, so when when we first moved into the house, and even up until a couple of years ago, we didn't want to have trick or treaters because our dogs, well, especially Tucker, yeah, barks incessantly. Yeah, and then when you open the door, he tries to. He tries to, you know, he wants to, you know, so if I open the door, he yeah. will try to get out and he may bite somebody, right? Right, right. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know if he would, but he's, he was scary, even though he's like 11 pounds. So what do you do? Turn the lights out? Pull the blinds? Oh, yeah, we totally do that. Do you really? See, I don't do that. No, we don't get any trick-or-treaters because you've been to my house. We've got that long staircase up to my house. Trick-or-treaters aren't going to the trouble for one right. Reese's peanut butter cup to climb those stairs. Right. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then, you know, people would say, well, why don't you just put him in the backyard? You know, and it's like, no, it's his house. I'm not doing that to him. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you just set a candy bowl out? We've done that. That's what okay. we do. That's we a good play. The, we put the bowl out. Yeah. yeah so that's you a just good play. take what you want. All right. So uh, candy power rankings. I threw this at you at the very last minute. Um, right. So y you're not now you do like candy, right? Um, I don't eat a lot of candy. I really? used to eat candy. Yeah, I'm not a real, I'm not a big candy person anymore. Yeah, I really like candy. But I did, I did, did have some favorites. So, all right. So, what, okay. what's your deal? Okay. So, mine, uh, number one, Reese's peanut butter cups. Uh, sorry, not sorry. I love those, uh, and and love peanut butter and chocolate. Anything peanut butter and chocolate. Peanut M and M's, not regular M and M's. I like the peanut M and M's. Those are delicious. And then Butterfingers. And I was trying to figure out what that flavor is. I think it's like a peanut butter and caramel kind of flavor that gets stuck in your teeth a lot. That's what Butterfingers are. So I, I go Reese's peanut butter cups, peanut butter M and M's, and then Butterfingers. Yeah, the consistency of the butter, it was kind of like a crackery kind of, and you know, it's like it, like I just felt like it had issues. Like yeah, it, didn't it, know does what it, gets, it does it get did, stuck in your teeth. It didn't know what it was. Am I a it, cracker with chocolate? And it's like. It's, it's an identity crisis for Butterfingers. Yeah, identity crisis, um, <laughs> crisis candy. Um, I, growing up, I like peanut chews. What are those like from the olden they, days? They, well, no, they were they were little squares that came in like a like a pack, like a long, you know, rectangular pack. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, they they totally got stuck in your teeth. But it was it was um, I think it, yeah, it definitely wasn't dark chocolate because I didn't eat that back then. Right, and it had um, it was chewy, so mm -hmm. it was kind of like car caramelly, yeah, and, yeah. and chocolate. Okay. But it was like in a little kind of thick square wafer. Okay. I like those. I always like Starburst. I do not like Starburst. I like Starburst. Yeah. Um, they get stuck in your teeth too, by the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, the more they get stuck in the teeth, the better. Yeah. And um, I guess as a kid, like I like Good and Plenty. Good and Plenty? Yeah, when I was a kid, I liked Good and wow. Plenty. Wow. I don't even know if they have that stuff anymore. Do they still have Good and Plenty? I'm sure it's on... It's on a rack somewhere. And somewhere. 
and it's probably very old. Yeah, I'm sure. So a couple of Halloween things. So, you know, Santa Monica Boulevard, I don't know if it still is, but it was like the gigantic Halloween party. Mm -hmm. Did you ever Mm -hmm. go? No. Okay. It's, it's really fun. It's really cool. I hope it's still going on. I'm not sure. Uh, but, uh, I, I was not out and I was with, uh, my old, uh, partner slash boyfriend guy. And we decided that we would go to Halloween and we went as Bert and Ernie. <laughs> and, uh, there we were walking down Santa Monica Boulevard, holding hands and everybody was saying, I always knew there was something about you guys. There's always been something about Bert and Ernie, which I thought was hilarious. Funny. Uh, the other thing, candy. You know, I have used Postmates to bring me Reese's peanut butter cups, only Reese's peanut butter cups. Expect you pay like $10 for the delivery. Bring me two four packs of Reese's peanut butter cups because I need them real bad. So that's how bad I am on candy is sometimes in the past, I have, before I, I started to pay attention, order Postmates uh, and get- candy? Uh, Reese's, Reese's peanut butter cups. You, you actually order candy? Yes, I ordered candy. I, wow, this is a first. Hey, you've never heard this? I've never heard of anybody ordering candy. Yeah, I ordered candy. It was candy delivery. Wow. Uh, Postmates, yeah. Yeah, no, sometimes I get start jonesing late at night. Jonesing late at night. Um, all right, I wanted to throw this last thing in. This is for Halloween. Uh, a guy in California has grown the biggest pumpkin in the history of the world. Uh, take a shot at how much this pumpkin actually weighs. Uh, 300 pounds. 1.2 tons. 1.2 tons. Now, how do you that grow just, a pumpkin it's, it's, that big? It's just the pumpkin alone. There's nothing added to it. No, it's like, just the pumpkin weighs 1.2 tons. How how big is it, though? It's probably like 10 feet across and 10 feet. It's gigantic. I don't even know where you start. Is that like... That's like, that's like nuclear. It is. It's like uh, something... It is. It's like Three Mile Island and they're growing gigantic pumpkins afterwards. Yeah, no, 1.2 tons is the world's largest pumpkin in history. It's such a weird thing when people have this something inside of them that makes them do something that ridiculous. Well, now he's just, I I imagine he's got to fertilize like crazy and all that. But I I mean, if I put pumpkin into my backyard, there's no way. I'm sure I could grow a pumpkin, but I would never grow a 1.2 ton I mean, there have to be performance-enhancing drugs involved. I was just going to say it shot up with something. <laughs> shot up, exactly, to get to 1.2 tons. All right, last thing. Um, Halloween, I think I. this is the second last thing. Okay. Uh, second last thing. Single, scariest, most terrifying movie you've ever seen. Uh, it, you know, well, Psycho was the scariest movie Psycho I had ever Psycho was seen. very scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would say Psycho. Yeah, Psycho. You know what the uh, blood was in the Janet Lee shower scene? Oh, yeah. What was... I, I remember hearing it, but I forget. Chocolate syrup. Chocolate syrup? Yeah, because it was black and white. Chocolate syrup oh, totally worked. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing is, uh, this always bugs me. Do you realize that Alfred Hitchcock, who directed Psycho, never 
won an Academy Award. Oh, yeah. I actually never was, won an Academy some, Award. There was something you posted a while ago on Twitter. Yeah. And um, it was directors who had never won an Academy Award. Yeah. And and I think I may have put in Alfred Hitchcock or yeah, or, you did. I think you did comment yeah. that yeah, Alfred Hitchcock. Come on, one of the masters of suspense, great greatest filmmakers of all time. Didn't get nominated for an Oscar. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. So for me, it's Exorcist. Um, oh, okay. I, I read the book. My mom and dad had it in the basement in the bookshelf, and they forbid me to read it. So of course, I read it along with uh, the Happy Hooker by. Uh, <laughs> Xavier Xander Oh Xavier Holland Xavier Hollander Xavier Hollander and Helter Skelter those are the three books I was forbidden to read and immediately read them of course well they're probably banned now (laughs) I was not allowed to watch the movie um uh The Exorcist but um my parents were away it was on HBO I decided to watch it scared the living shit out of me I mean I'm I grew up a Catholic and so mm-hmm. I always thought of that stuff as real. I mean, it's superstition or whatever, but I always thought. And then to see it on the screen and uh, her head turning around and levitate, all that stuff. I, I could not shake those images for a long time. Yeah, there was no religious fear because I grew up Jewish. Yes. But when that movie came out, it came out in Manhattan. I was living in New York. Right. And this is the days when you had to wait online for the yeah, yeah. first night of a big film. Yep. And it was freezing cold and the line wrapped around the theater. And I mean, I was like frozen when I walked in. The scariest moment in that film for me, because the head turning and the, you know, the vomit and all that kind of stuff, that, that kind of stuff didn't scare me that much. The scariest part was when Ellen Burstyn heard something up in the attic. Yeah. And she went up there to see what it was. And there was the anticipation of what's going to come out. Yeah, right. And that to me, that to me is the scariest thing about scary movies. Yeah. Like besides Psycho, when a stranger calls. Oh my God. That movie scared the hell out of me. The calls are coming from inside the house. Yeah. That's yeah. a great one. That's so. a great one. Yeah. Uh, all right. So happy Halloween, everybody. I hope we got you ready for it and put you in the spirit. <laughs> Even though we, we, we hate the holidays. We hate Halloween. Unhappy Halloween, everyone. Exactly. All right. Here we go. Our guest today is a longtime Hollywood producer who was the senior vice president of content for Paramount, where he had a hand in developing shows like NCIS, Deadwood, and Frasier. Now is the head of film and television for Kelsey Grammer's Gramnet Productions. He is the executive producer of the new version of Frasier, which is Back on Paramount Plus. Tom Russo is here. Tom, thanks a lot for doing this. My pleasure, Steve. Great. Thanks for inviting me. So full disclosure, uh, Sue, Tom and I have been in the same fantasy football league for, I don't know, 15, 20 years, something like that. And I believe, Tom, you beat me more than I beat you. Is that true? Yes, but I do think over time this will even out. (laughs) What's your record this year? Uh, Five and two because uh, Mr. Ireland beat me last night. 
That's right. And I am a, a sparkling three and five. So I'm <laughs> very, very excited about that. It's a long season. Yeah, it is. It is. Lots, lots to go. Well, congratulations on the show. Frazier is fantastic. Uh, made me laugh a lot. Uh, really, really funny on Paramount Plus. Uh, way to go, man. Means a lot because it's, it's hard for me to be objective because I'm so close to the project. So when I hear an opinion such as yours or from show, it, it truly does mean a lot. Thank you. So it's been 20 years since the premiere of the original series. When did you start with the show? Because you were an exec at Paramount. Yeah. Um, I, and, I, and how did you kind of forge this relationship with Kelsey? It's actually 30 years since the show started. It mm. debuted in, in 1993, and it ran from 2004. And uh, when I became the head of the current series department at Paramount Network Television, uh, I was responsible for all of their ongoing primetime series. I had a staff, kind of like account executives, where you delegate shows to, and I would kind of hover over everything. But Frasier was one of the shows, along with Deadwood and whatever Star Trek show we were doing and whatever Stephen Bochco show we were doing that I kept for myself. So that is how I forged a, a, a great both working and personal relationship with Kelsey, which is now endured 30 years later. So hopefully that, that answers, but, but feel free to follow up. How, how long was the idea of doing this show again uh, in the works? Well, I, I've been uh, talking about it with Kelsey since 2015, hmm. and it, it was really something where he wondered what would Fraser Crane have been doing since he left Seattle to go to Chicago? What's happened in the last 20 years? And that kind of got the discussion going. But as you know, in television, and it is now a lot like the movie business, things don't move quickly, and which is why it has, has been such a long period of time. But everything, I'm convinced, happens at the right time for the right reason. And that's why here we are in 2023 and we've welcomed our old friend Fraser Crane back into the building. So that scenario, uh, the, the new concept with his son across the hall, he's the firefighter, uh, instead of going to Harvard and, and sort of this scenario. Uh, and it sort of, it, it, it's parallel to the situation that he had in Seattle with, uh, with Niles uh, and his dad. Um, is it true that there were other scenarios considered? Like I read a note that said at one point, maybe Niles and Frazier were going to open a theater together. Was that ever really considered? Uh, I, I don't want to address specifics, but uh, uh, those who chose to talk about that publicly did that on their own. But in the course of the development process, let me simply say there are a lot of different scenarios discussed, and we landed on the one that we ultimately felt was best. Yeah, you know, taking on something like this, you know, it's not easy to do a reboot, I think, you know, because you, you kind of, you know, pine for, you know, what, what it used to be. And a lot of times it doesn't match up. Um, this show is so great and so funny. And it, the writing is incredible. The relationships, the way you weave all these stories that, you know, callbacks and and it's just it's it really is a pleasure to watch because i don't watch a lot of sitcoms 
And this is a show because I did love the old show um, that doesn't miss a trick. I mean, it's 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 terrific. So, I congratulations. You really did a great job. Thank you. And and one of the things that that I think you both get, and I've always tried to emphasize to anybody who will listen to me, is while there is a natural tendency to compare this current show with what came in the past, we simply ask that it be judged on its own merits against all current comedies that are on now. And, and Steve, let's do a sports analogy. Is it fair to compare the Lakers of today with the Showtime Lakers from the 1980s? They're two yeah. different two different animals. Yeah, two different yeah. times and periods and players and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. Well, what I was going to say, um, Tom, is that you don't you you don't even have to have watched the old Frazier, you know what I mean, to enjoy this. Like this is just to me, it's Kelsey Grammer, but it is fresh and and, you, and, and, and new. It, it's new again. and old at the same time, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, what we're striving to do, and I'm real and I'm 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 I can't emphasize this enough, is we wanted to create a show as our our group uh, has collaborated on that would welcome in people who were fans of the old show that if they'd never watched the original show would be able to come to this and enjoy it in the way we hope that the show has been executed is striving for that same elevated comedic writing that, that the original show had, but also, and I think that's what has always made Frasier special, a really healthy dose of emotion in the heart. Hmm. Because when you give that to people as well as make them laugh, I believe that's what brings them back for episode after episode, because then they start to form a relationship with the characters. And I think I'm hoping that you will see as the season goes on that the supporting cast, which are new and surround Frasier, uh, really grow, they, they grow into their roles, the, the characters get deeper. And if the original show took a beloved character from Cheers, put him in a new setting and surrounded him with new characters. What we're doing now is we're taking a beloved character from the original Frasier, moving him to a new setting and surrounding him with new characters. Seemed like the natural thing to do. You can't go back. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you can't go back and yet it feels like a comfortable pair of shoes. You know, it feels oh, like no question. Yeah. yeah oh, it's it's like it's you. it's comfort food, right? Now the show is streaming on Paramount Plus. It's obviously right. a shorter season, 10 episodes. Are yes. there changes to the process? Now that the show is on a streamer, for example, do you get away with jokes that you wouldn't normally get away with because of standards and practices years ago? Or how's that go? It's a it's a really good question, Steve. What we asked uh, our showrunners and writers to do is write the show that they wanted, always, of course, under the ultimate supervision of Kelsey Grammer, who knows the character and show better than anybody else. But we didn't tailor anything specifically in that sense. There are plenty of shows that are designed for streaming services, which have different content, edgier content, edgier language than you would find on a broadcast network show. What's in the current iteration of Frasier is simply what we thought would be best for that. So I guess that's a long way of saying no. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and 
Go ahead, Sue. I was going to ask you um, how much how involved is uh, is Kelsey in in uh, in the in the writing in the stories and all of that. He's involved through everything. He you will see at the beginning of the show after his starring credit a couple of frames later you'll see his executive producer credit and that is not in name only he is uh, an extremely talented producer director as well as actor and uh, he sets the tone and we take the lead from him so you've been in the business for a long time tom um we all have uh, certain movies and shows that kind of shaped our sensibilities what tv movies what, what tv shows or movies kind of did that for you Wow, I'll try to. I mean, in in television for comedy, Mash, yeah. Uh, and I was fortunate when I was a kid because my uncle lived out here. I got to go visit the set twice, hmm. and then later on in life, in my career as uh, as an executive at Paramount, I was very blessed to have been able to work with Alan Alda on two separate television movies which for me was a dream come true as well as i i, I worked once with uh, mike farrell but uh i say that because mash first of all it constantly reinvented itself in the course of 11 years and it started as a broad based larry gelbart run comedy and then really was a dramedy before there was that term mm -hmm. and uh i've always loved television drama but what i think is ultimately uh the thing that shaped me the most is the movies that i watched because my grandparents used to take me to the movies which was in those days not very expensive to do and i would say probably the combination of chinatown oh the god the godfather summer of 42 mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the shawshank redemption sure uh all kind of blended into the sensibility that i have but i did watch a lot of television watched a lot of movies growing up i was an only child so but I, I entertained myself through reading and watching and and then chose to do this as my career hmm. um i wanted to go i want to go back to something that I, I think a lot of people maybe aren't privy to and that's the writer's room uh, mm -hmm. I've, I've written on a on a bunch of shows sure. and um this writer's room must be a blast. How many, how many writers are actually in this writer's room? I have not done the complete count, but I, it's uh, because we had writers come and go in the course of the season, not through uh, negative reasons. Like one of our writers had previously committed to do some teaching and needed to depart, and then we brought others in. But I would say that the range was somewhere between 10 and 15 writers, not always all at once, but people who had uh, been involved with the show at various points. So yes, it's a lot of people. And I don't sit in the writer's room because I let them do their thing. I mm -hmm. did drop in a few times, but looked like they were not only doing great work, but having a lot of fun. You know, uh, I worked on shows that, you know, the first show that I worked on, we as writers were not on the floor during the shoot, just for people, mm -hmm. you know, that don't know about this kind of stuff. And then we were in like a, a booth above the stage. And if we had a, a, a punch up a joke, we would just make a phone call to the set 
And that's the way we did it. And then I worked on another show where we were on the floor. And then I worked on another show where there, you know, Sex in the City, where there was no floor. Um, how much writing has gone on during the taping of the show? How much, what would you say? Because, you know, I've worked on shows where you didn't do a lot of changes on the fly. Um, how, how does it work on this show? Uh, I, by the time we get, to the floor for the audience show, the script, because it is a multi-camera comedy, has gone through a rewrite every afternoon, evening, and then it is rehearsed the next day. I mean, you know the schedule of, of a multi-cam. And it's in extraordinarily good shape by the time it hits the floor. Primarily the changes to my eyes that occur on show nights are if a joke that worked well in run through and that we all like just simply doesn't land with the live studio audience then uh, the showrunners will go and huddle with the writers sometimes even ask us and try to better it and so we'll take this sentence out substitute this joke that kind of thing and it's also why we're blessed to have the talented cast that we have because Kelsey makes those adjustments instantaneously and they have as well and uh, as you may know Nicholas Lindhurst who plays Alan Cornwall on the show uh, is a veteran of UK uh, television and theater and film and he he's also a master at that and everybody else as well so um, my best friend worked at Paramount for many years and I had the excitement of doing what I think is like one of the really cool LA experiences, which is driving onto the Paramount lot. Mm. Um, it's super cool to pass through those, those gates. I think um, driving onto the studio lot, being part of Paramount, working there so many years, you know, I, I would imagine that, that it feels like, does it feel like a dream that all this has been a dream that you've gotten to this spot and you're an executive producer on a, on a, a big hit show? Uh, that would be an understatement. Based. <laughs> I was an executive here for almost 13 years. It's the lot that I really solidified my career and I kind of grew up on this lot. And to be able 16 years after leaving the Paramount lot to be able to return as an executive producer of Frasier, as I said, is beyond a dream come true. And this is an absolutely true story. When Kelsey and I were first driving onto the lot to look at stages about a year ago, uh, this month, Kelsey rolled down the window. They looked at Kelsey. I gave them my driver's license and Guy looks down, looks at the license, looks up, looks down. He goes, Mr. Russo, what are you doing here? It's <laughs> the same guys who were there when I was an executive who wow. remembered me and wow. who say good morning to me every time now that I drive on, on the lot. And listen, I don't want to go too deep in, in into my background, but also what makes it a dream come true. I am from a blue-collar immigrant, working-class Italian family in New York. No one in my family went to college. Hmm. When I said when I was a little boy I wanted to work in the entertainment industry and television, my family laughed, not in a humiliating way, but isn't that so cute? He <laughs> thinks he's going to work in television. And then, my, fortunately, my mom lived to see it. 
I be, I was in charge of all Paramount's television series all those years later. That's wow. amazing. Wow. Their friends still marvel at. They're like, we, they can't figure it out. Um, I know you said you don't want to go too deep into your your the history of your career, well, but just what, what, I, what, I, it's probably not interesting. But well, oh no, to know Tom, what, Tom, it is. I, I okay. want to know what what was what was your first big break. Uh, my first big break was being moved from Universal in New York City at 445 Park Avenue, where I worked very briefly, to the lot in Universal City. And I worked uh, at Universal uh, at a time when the company was still run by Lou Wasserman. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was the kind of thing where I would go up in the elevator to my office in the Black Tower and he'd be in the elevator and he'd go, uh, how you doing, young man? And we were all in our suits and ties. And all I wanted to do was work in, in the creative end of the business. And I got to do that in Universal at the time. So yeah. everywhere, to every, and I had Magnum PI and Murder, She Wrote and The Equalizer and Major <laughs> Dad. And, well, and that was it. And then what brought me to Paramount were my bosses who hired me there ultimately went to Paramount. And brought me uh, with him, which happens uh, a lot of the time. And that was my, that was really my break. I mean, I, uh, I'm in Los Angeles for work. I, it, I didn't say, gee, I can't wait to grow up and live in LA. It was, if I could, if I could have figured out how to have a thriving career in the entertainment industry based in New York, where I'm from, I would have. But at the time when I got out of school, it was not nearly the creative and production hub that it is now. And it's a much different place. So I've been here most of my adult life, and and uh, I, I, I go home a lot. I see uh, I, I see my childhood friends. I maintain a home in New York, so I keep uh, attached to my roots there, and trying to never lose the perspective of where I came from. Because I, I think uh, um, I'm not going to finish the sentence. Uh, you you guys can finish. I just. I'm the same person I've always been. It's yeah. just, just what I do. Sure. Um, I got two last things for you. First of all, I kind of miss network TV. I know I do miss network TV. Um, I know we've gone to this world of streaming, but when I was a kid, when we were kids, there were certain nights of television that we looked forward to. There was Tuesday night on ABC with Happy Days and uh, Laverne and Shirley. Let's see if we can do it. Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Three's Company, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, it ended with family, Aaron Spelling series, family, um, Thursday nights on NBC. Oh yeah. So, so a couple of years after three something, that, that was a great one. That was a great one. Uh, Thursday night on NBC, you know, you had cheers, you had, uh, Hill street blues. You had a certain night, Saturday nights on CBS was a mm-hmm. certain thing. Ended with Carol Burnett show started with all in the family. Uh, is streaming good for shows like yours? Um, I, I do think it is because I think that is simply the way that our industry is heading in the future. We fortunately, I believe have, have done a show which can easily fit into very, uh, into, uh, the streaming paradigm. And, uh, we actually, I don't know if you saw, we were given an, uh, one time only run on CBS for the first two episodes of Frasier. I didn't see that. Yes. It was five days after the premiere of the first two. 
Notice I don't use the word drops. I still use premiere or debut. I, I like both of those. Yes. Better. Thank yeah. you. Thank, Thank you. you, Tom. Uh, I uh, was happy to see that because I know a lot of people back in New York who, from my neighborhood, who uh, were able to be exposed to the show by watching it on CBS and then called me and said, how do we watch the rest? And I said, dial up Paramount Plus, subscribe, and you'll, and you'll see there'll be a new episode every Thursday night through the uh, season. And then we hope, uh, uh, we hope that uh, more and more people join in as we go. Because the, the, the cool thing about there is, the great thing about streaming is you can go back, you can watch episodes. Uh, once they're all up there, you can binge watch them. You can watch them over and over again. Like you both, I grew up in an era of broadcast network TV because that's what we had. If we had had alternatives, I think we probably would have availed ourselves of alternatives. But sure, Saturday night, I'm glad I was a kid when I was a kid because I could watch All in the Family, Nash, Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart, and the Carol Burnett Show. Can you imagine? That was one night of TV. Yeah. And it ran for years and years and years and years and years. And uh, But the, here's what I've learned. The world changes. You can't simply hold on to the past. You have to evolve. You have to embrace change. And I'd like to think that's one of the reasons why we're doing what we're doing today. Yeah. Um, last thing for you. There's really never been anything like uh, the character Frazier. From a shrink in a bar in Boston, to radio talk show host, to Chicago, now back, back to Boston, uh, all over the course of, I guess this is 40 years now, right? Yeah. He's, he, no, no uh, uh, the character started on Cheers in the fall of 1984, the beginning of the third year. So it is for coming up on 40 years. Oh, wow. Cheers ran 11 years and he started, the character was introduced in the third season. So this is a, a you know, the, the only thing I can think of that's similar to this is uh, Ed Asner as Lou Grant, right? He played Lou Grant uh, in two different shows mary tyler moore the first what was the second one called was it called lou grant lou. oh lou, lou grant. grant right that's right um lou so grant. this five this years char this character has been very very has evolved over a period of time do you do, does kelsey do the people on the show feel a responsibility for this character fraser crane and where he goes yeah completely uh steve uh, the character of fraser crane and the man who embodies him are both icons and national treasures. And there is a great responsibility that all of us have in, in making sure that we do the right and proper things having to do with the character and that we do everything that we can to support Kelsey uh, in bringing uh, the show back. Uh, and because he he is he's the front facing person on the show, and we want to do everything to make sure that the character resonates, that the character is authentic, and that uh, the show uh, succeeds. Because nobody has worked longer and harder on this than Kelsey Grimmer. Hmm. You know, well, seeing seeing the ahead, show sir. back just sent, just seeing him come back made me realize how much I missed him. 
Oh, I'm, I will, I will make sure and, and, and tell him that I have a feeling that a lot of America and, and viewers around the world, because Paramount plus is international feel the same way. I was asked by an interviewer in an earlier piece that I did, uh, why now? And I always thought it was a good time. Anytime is a good time to spend some time with Fraser Crane. But life has been so challenging and so difficult for so many people these last four or five years that we need to spend some time with an old friend. We mm -hmm. need to, uh, to, to, to revisit uh, Fraser and Fraser Crane. And that's why I think things happen for a reason and it was meant to happen right now. Awesome. Well, listen, the show is great. Congratulations. It is streaming now on Paramount+. Plus. If you have loved the character of Fraser Crane over the years, do not miss this. Kelsey Grammer, just as good as ever. Tom, congratulations on the show, and thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Sue. Very much appreciate being here. And there you have it. There is Tom Russo, buddy of mine for many, many years, Sue. He has uh, whooped me in fantasy football plenty, plenty. And it looks like he still is. Yes, he is. I'm three and five. He's five and two. I actually, I don't know how he's got an extra game. I have an extra. Well, I don't know. Yeah, he's at eight. I guess. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, he's beating me. It's a bottom line. He's beating me. Hey, I want to remind everybody, Sue, that uh, you should subscribe to the Culture Pop podcast. If you're watching it, subscribe on YouTube. Leave us a comment always appreciate it um if you are listening right now subscribe to the podcast on apple and on spotify and again five-star review fantastic uh write something great uh, uh comment appreciated and if you do that um and you email us mace and sue at gmail.com i will personally i will literally be at the ups place up the street i will personally send you a uh, Culture Pop Podcast t-shirt. So we appreciate you being out there all the time and listening. Sue, happy Halloween to you, huh? It's your day. Oh boy, yeah, I can't wait. It's my day too. I, I cannot. I'm just going to uh, close the, turn the lights off, pull the blinds and hope nobody stops by. That's right. I'm going to go not look for a costume. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, thanks very much for listening and for watching and we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. <laughs>